Greetings from the final event of the Advanced Project of the Innovative Medicines Initiative, a project promoting the use of distributed health databases to facilitate vaccine safety studies in Europe. I'm speaking today to Martin Seschel, Deputy Director General for Health, Food and Safety of the European Commission, who gave a keynote address today at the conference. Uh, good morning, Martin. How are good you? Morning. Good morning. It's lovely to see you. Uh, thanks again for your participation. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. On August uh, 2018, there was a report in The Economist that said in the past decade, measles vaccination rates in some European countries have fallen below those in parts of Africa. Italy, France, Serbia have lower child vaccination rates than Burundi, Rwanda, and Senegal. Why do we have these issues emerging in Europe? Yes, it's a double issue. There are misconceptions about vaccination and also misconceptions about the seriousness, the severity of diseases like measles or influenza. Few people are aware, for example, of the number of deaths we've had in Europe um, from measles. This these misconceptions have shifted public focus from the individual and collective benefits of vaccination to increased mistrust and fear even of possible side effects. But this is just one of the issues at play. There's also, I would be the first to admit, I think over the years there's been complacency about the issue. We've taken the instrument for granted. And decreasing confidence in vaccines is certainly, as you say, a common problem in Europe. Uh, unfortunately, we are even, uh, to a certain extent, exporting the problem. Yeah. We are you know, very open to the rest of the world, and our opinions, of course, travel. And this means we need to counter that. The good thing about Europe is that also we have mechanisms to work together, to collaborate. Sure. Member states can work together to uh, have a shared responsibility uh, I mean, in alliance with healthcare professionals. We understand more and more the importance, the important role that healthcare professionals play, other relevant stakeholders like public health organizations. And indeed, this is at the cornerstone of the various political initiatives underway at the moment um, in the European Union, whether it's the Council, the Parliament, uh, the Commission. There was an interesting survey in France just a couple of months ago that 40% of the general public think that vaccines are unsafe. Again, from a public health standpoint, certainly there are nominal borderline risk seizure, 3 per 10,000 in the MMR vaccine, just something like that. That's a relative risk. I mean, yeah. that's a very small yeah. risk, yeah. yet compared to losing herd immunity is far more devastating. What can DG Health do to try and help educate the member states? Yes. I mean, first of all, I mean, we have to remind people vaccines are pharmaceuticals. So they're assessed on, on, on a risk-benefit, a benefit-risk ratio. Um, and that is you know, very, very stringent in Europe, very demanding. It's very comprehensive. Uh, and that's both before the authorization and also thereafter. So, so the post-marketing um, studies, etc. So the first thing we have to do is, first of all, um, work on our communication activities. I mean, these are very technical, legislative, you know, instruments, scientific data, which has to be translated accurately, completely, uh, effectively. So how do you explain, for example, to people how the pharmacovigilance system works? Right. You know, how do you even empower a GP in a typical seven-minute consultation to be able to convey that information to a, a worried parent, for example, who has questions about you know, the, the, the safety or, 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 or effectiveness of a vaccine. So we need to do work on that front, first of all. Uh, secondly, there are some basic concepts you mentioned, which we need to explain better. You mentioned the herd Im immunity, the herd yeah. protection. One of the reasons why we need to have a high vaccination coverage is there are individuals who uh, do not have... You know, a properly functioning immune system, for example. Um, we have had very tragic cases, for example, of children, for example, who had been undergoing a, a cancer treatment for diseases like leukemia. So successfully beaten off the cancer, 
only to Thank contract and die from measles. How do you explain that to uh, the parent of a child in that situation? So we need to explain why also we have why vaccination is so important. This 95%, for example, coverage figure often mentioned. We need to explain why that is so important. Right. Who are those 5% who cannot be vaccinated or for whom the vaccine would not work because they are immunocompromised or immunosuppressed? So these are basic concepts in, in, in public health, which we have never explained to people. Mm-hmm. It seems that one of the problems we, those of us who work in healthcare on, on many levels, one of the things we're fighting is social media, new media, mm-hmm. the, the way communication is moving. It's mm-hmm. so much faster mm-hmm. and in such sure. non-traditional sure. methods. How can we improve the way we communicate using these tools when there's such an onslaught of contrary messages being poured in? Well, first of all, we need to be there. Yeah. So because if we leave a vacuum, <laughs> you know, it will be filled you know, by something. So we, we are increasing our use of social media to reach out and better inform our citizens about the importance of vaccination. Social media have also changed the nature of the communication. This is not about you know, producing lengthy scientific documents, which may be very accurate and comprehensive but you know, are no use in social media. What you have to do is to distill the facts. So not departing from the facts at all. We have to stick to the facts very scrupulously. Sure. But translate those into key messages because social media is also about messages. Yeah, it's about uh, likes and dislikes. And I know, and also being you know, very much in real time. Another thing, you know, um, it's pointless responding to an issue one year after it's arisen. Yeah. You, know, you have to be on the ball. So really in real time. And, and, and this is a big problem we have in public health. We, we tended to rely historically on collecting statistical information, surveys that take sometimes even a couple of years to process and validate and so on. And by the time you are able to answer the question, the original question is gone and the new ones have arisen. You've been punched a million times on yeah. social media and you, yeah. you yeah. Can't, you're not allowed yes. to respond just yes. the traditional so, way. Sort of so we have that. to respond very quickly in real time. That would imply, Martin, that you need to be part of a continuing dialogue that goes yes. contrary yeah. to the social culture of the buildings we're looking yes, at here. Indeed, for indeed, indeed. That, that, that's what we have to change. And, and we are taking steps. For example, a couple of days ago, we convened uh, the Coalition of Vaccination. So we brought together various uh, organizations representing healthcare professionals, uh, students uh, in the healthcare professions, but also public health organizations to have a dialogue with them, for example, to ask them, tell us what are the questions? How can we create a mechanism so we can know what are the questions that you are getting and where you need quick answers? How do we translate this complex scientific information about how vaccines and other pharmaceuticals are authorized, regulated, controlled, followed up? How do you translate that into something which is usable for a GP, for a pediatrician? For a community pharmacist, sure. for example. So this is work which, obviously, where we have to be in listening mode because the commission uh, is not the one who is dealing with the patients on a daily basis or, or worried people or people who just have questions. These professionals are, and they can also help us shape the right messages you know, without departing from the facts, which remains you know, the cornerstone. And how do we get around the fact of this? I mean, there is a real risk, again, getting back to this point. I mean, there is a, a small risk, three per 10,000 procedure. No. But, you no. know, you have a four per thousand risk of dying driving in Brussels, but no. yet people well, don't have a problem with that. Look, even a humble aspirin <laughs> yeah, of has a risk. Of course. Oh, and so, therefore, and the question, I think, the, the main thing which distinguishes vaccines from other pharmaceuticals is that they are administered to healthy people. Right. The disease is there. Unvaccinated people have a high risk of contracting some of the diseases because they are very infectious right. you know, and contagious. It's been said very often, vaccines are often a victim of their own success because very few people, for example, in Europe today know what polio looks like. Some of the elderly people remember all too well 
about polio. Some of them are still suffering the effects of polio. As we mentioned earlier, you've had several measles outbreaks. There was just a huge outbreak three years ago in Cal Berkeley. Yeah. You had a, a yeah. very large outbreak across Europe last well. year. And the European Council has made a joint recommendation to improve the rates of vaccination. You mentioned the 95% yeah. rate. That's a goal in the 2020 plan. What is the status of that action plan as of today, and what can we do practically to try and implement that from your perspective, Martin? The action plan also identified a number of uh, aspects. So we are tackling vaccination across the board, so not just on confidence issues, because it's not just an issue of confidence. Of course, confidence is an important thing. It's a prerequisite. Sure. But also there are other problems. For example, we see um, a growing disinvestment in vaccines. It's, it's not sometimes seen to be an attractive area for research and product development compared to other uh, sectors. The uh, lack of confidence or outright hesitancy doesn't even help because it creates a kind of poisoned atmosphere around this. Um, We need to ensure that we have better data, real-time data, not just statistical data. We need to make sure that we are improving our communication skills to talk about all aspects of vaccines. And also, uh, vaccination has a very strong global dimension. It's not just Europe acting in 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 isolation. Uh, so, for example, next September, uh, we'll be convening a global summit on vaccination uh, in collaboration with the WHO. And will that occur here in Brussels? Or it will be in Brussels, yes. Uh, it will be a very much a, a global event because we want also to galvanize political action. Governments should not be complacent about this uh, really effective public health tool, which is, however, under threat in so many ways. And we need to reinforce our whole infrastructure. Whether it's you know investing in much-needed new vaccines, next-generation vaccines, uh, but also in making sure that we have better real-time information, how we can use digital technologies, how we can provide this information to people that is at their fingertips. They have this information. We can push this out sure. to GPs, to uh, pharmacists, to specialists, etc., what is the information they need? So this is really important. And also to look at the funding aspects, because there's also, uh, I think, a big need for public investment sure. in this sector. You know, it's a public, great public need. And this is precisely where the European Commission and DG Health could play a yes, direct indeed. role. Indeed. It's a delicate dance you're doing right now with all of the populism in the member states. If you push yeah. too hard, yes, yes. there will be blowback. Indeed. Yeah. And But yet there is a direct need for the commission to start to say, hey, wait a minute, we have a role here because this is a pan-European yes. problem. You're square central on this. You're right in the crosshairs. How do you delicately balance that? Yes, indeed. I mean, we see the commission's role mainly as a facilitator in this project, a convener of this. So we see the key roles, of course, have to be, on the one hand, the member states, because health in the European Union is delivered by the member states and its regions and the regions. So our job is to support them in the best way we can. And we know it's a very mixed picture across Europe. Some countries have done very well. It's uh, it's not universally bad. Some countries have managed to maintain very high vaccination rates. Um, Others have, you know, um, a crumbling situation. So we need to to work, particularly the ones which which are in difficulty. Then the other dimension is to work very closely and and, uh, really support the frontline role of the healthcare professionals. Survey after survey shows that healthcare professionals still enjoy a high level of trust in, in Europe. They are among the most trusted Uh, sources of information but they have limited time they need to be also provided with the with the right tools they have incredible workloads and and, and a lot of other pressures so how do we support them Uh, this is why we convened the coalition i mentioned earlier and also then to encourage them to do their part because they are the ones who have the direct uh, personal relationship with patients and individuals our role is not so much to lead the agenda but to support it 
very actively. There are also, of course, uh, elements where we have a more direct law, like in creating the right kind of incentives you know, to encourage uh, research in vaccines, development uh, of vaccines. We have a whole host of diseases where we do not have answers. Right. W- what will happen if, for example, extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis becomes more prevalent, which it probably will if we are not able to contain it? We will have to rely on better vaccines, vaccines that are even more effective than the ones we have today. The, all the emerging diseases, the vector-borne diseases, which are now entering, extending their range every year, mm-hmm. you know, dengue, uh, West Nile, uh, chikungunya, whole host of those. Not to mention, you know, all the diseases which are globally, maybe not yet in Europe, but diseases like malaria and diseases like yellow fever, diseases like also the emerging, although hemorrhagic fevers. Correct. We, we can expect that the future will be more infectious diseases, not less. Vaccines seem to be a good way to combat this. If you look at it's, some of the vaccines now against um, pneumococcal pneumonia, yes, they've been yes, very effectively yes, treated indeed. with a vaccine. Indeed, you know, when vaccines work, they work spectacularly. Absolutely, that's that's the issue. So, there's been a lot of member states that have passed laws. Uh, we think about Italy, who passed the Lorenzen decree. Yes, yes. hugely controversial. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, pushed back, with, depending on which government was in place. It was in place, rescinded, put back yeah. in place. Now there's a huge exemption where you don't need to prove it. What is your opinion sitting here from the commission, do you think that we should go the route where we start enforcing legislation or do you think that that's fraught with peril? Look, the commission's position is, first of all, we respect that it's the role of the member states to decide what is the right strategy for their country. Because as I said before, it's a very different picture from country to country. Sure. And there is no one size fits all strategy. So we have been very careful not to do that mistake. So we work with all the governments in the European Union, with all the ministries of health. They know very well their specific situation and what their specific situation requires. There are also social, cultural, and even political aspects at play, which obviously have to be respected. And therefore, our uh, approach is to see how we can best support the national strategies. But we really want to make sure there are national strategies. What we do not want to see is complacency. Putting the problem under the carpet you know, sure. um, is not something that we could support. But national approaches can be very varied and they will have, of course, to be based on the situation on the ground in that country. You mentioned you know, the need for real-world evidence-based validation beyond clinical studies, etc. Uh, you know, Advance, we're here at the IMI project. Advance, it's the final day of the, of the project. They're rolling out the tools that they've developed. You know, They have a distributed data network that can quantify assessment and benefits of new vaccines quite rapidly. One of the core recommendations of the European Council was to develop this exact system, the EVIS, the European Vaccination Information Sharing System, coordinated by the European Centers for Disease Control, ECDC. I'm throwing out a lot of alphabet salad here. Uh, (laughs) Do you think the IMI programs like Advance can fill that void? I mean, is this something that we should be looking at? Yes, I think one of the things which has emerged very clearly is that there is a need for, um, you know, much improved information systems. So when we talk about improved, it means that they have to be comprehensive. They have to have all the information that is available as much as possible on both the benefits and any risks. They have to be scientifically correct. So really, you know, um, up to date, kept updated. And they have also to be real time. Um, sure. Because obviously, this is a very dynamic situation. New information is coming in all the time. It's not just about the vaccines, but also about the effectiveness of the vaccination programs. These are tools, this is information that policymakers need to have in front of them all the time. So the, the project fills 
a very important void, um, which I think today it was not so easy to have this. Now the next step is to see, because a project is only the first part, Correct. Um, how do we make the best use of this project and other initiatives that have been going on and are going on uh, and plug them into the reality of kind of daily work of healthcare systems across Europe. And, and I think there, there are ideas already emerging on that very clearly. Uh, I ho- I'm sure this event will help us also uh, clarify this uh, as well. But uh, this is certainly work which now is the next stage is how we use this engine that has been built uh, and plug it in into the uh, health systems. Yeah, p- potential energy is not kinetic unless it's put in motion. I, right? Indeed, indeed, <laughs> yes. So um, you were quoted recently in your active saying that vaccination is not just for children. It's oh. important to have a lifelong approach. Indeed. But unfortunately, a lot of national systems are more efficient in dealing with children and not so efficient in dealing with people beyond a certain age. Yeah. Going forward into Horizon Europe, I mean, obviously these negotiations are ongoing. There's going to be new commissions and new votes. How do you see these programs developing in your purview what do you want to do about this in order to make sure that we get this across all age groups yes the lifelong approach is very important um, first of for many reasons first of all um, for a certain diseases the vaccination has to is addressed at adults so if you're talking about seasonal influenza if you're talking also about other diseases you know which which are are, are indicated where, where the prevention effort needs to be targeting um, adults we also have a large population in europe um, unfortunately, who should have been vaccinated as children then were not that. vaccinated. So, um, I, um, the the statistic for deaths from measles, you know, over 50 deaths in the past few years, um, over 30 deaths in 2018 alone. All of, most of them were adults or young adults who probably missed innumerable opportunities to get vaccinated. So the catch-up vaccination, uh, and they paid the ultimate penalty for that. You know, um, right. they paid with their lives. Uh, and all those deaths were completely preventable because we have a vaccine that works. It's safe. It's cheap. You know, um, it's, it's just a few seconds of intervention. These people could all be alive today. Yeah. You know? um, and not to mention all the other you know, people who suffered from complications of measles. You know, a, a child ending up with encephalitis in, in an intensive therapy unit. This is, this is a very traumatic experience. So all this can be prevented. So we have to make sure that we're also reaching out to those people. And in some countries, you have large populations or significant populations who have not been vaccinated. Are, are a lot of those from the Ascension, from the EU27? Was it the expansion also, countries? Well, we have a mix. So we also have some, some of the original members states included so you know but we have a mixed picture yes so if you could implement one change right now if you were given carte blanche and horizon europe what one change do you think dg health should implement in the vaccine space right now if you could well i think definitely we need to coordinate our efforts much better because one of the other problems we face is that we've had um disjointed initiatives these things have developed on a purely national basis but without any communication between them so we get very basic questions from people like you know why is this vaccine mandatory in one country but optional in another surely it's the same disease you know it, it's right. and these are very good questions people ask of course there are reasons some of them are very scientific you know epidemiology some of them are just historical you know um, but we have to have answers to these questions you know we can't just say well that's the way it is right uh, that's not good enough so um, obviously um, the the coordination so we've been investing and will continue to invest and then ultimately, of course, we have to continue to invest very strongly in research and development because with such a potentially effective public health tool, on the other hand, 
we see less and less investment going into vaccines. It's a myth that the industry is extremely interested in vaccines. I mean, we see signs of the, in the opposite direction. You know, they're increasingly looking elsewhere. Sure. Uh, and we have to, because um, when we see things like antimicrobial resistance on the horizon or emerging, you know, diseases moving out of their kind of um, original zone or uh, previously unknown or obscure diseases becoming more prevalent, we will have to have a response. And in some cases, particularly for, you know, many of these, there will be no answer at, apart from vaccination. Well, it's interesting you point out the AMR comparison because increasingly people are willing to throw generic antibiotics at diseases rather than putting out a vaccine, which may cost 120 yes, to 140 yes, a dose. Yes, and I think yes. that that's a that can become yeah. a public health issue. Indeed, indeed, there are there are um, resistant diseases that are vaccine preventable. We also have to look at the fact that often antimicrobial-resistant um, infections develop as secondary infections of preventable diseases. Certainly pneumonia is so a good example. So influenza is a good example. One common complication is pneumonia, etc. So, uh, and then that results in all kinds of complications and, and very, very negative outcomes in some cases. So that is a link which has to be made also politically. Huh? I mean, it's, it's, vaccination is an incredibly effective tool. I mean, there are very few medicines <laughs> that right. have the the effectiveness of vaccines this is the reality you know when it comes to actually um, assessing their their effectiveness but of course you know all this has to be demonstrated all the time you know new information all the time coming in again about benefits and potential risks because nothing you know as i said it's a medicine so it has to be right. and the same discipline has to be applied and is applied but we need to explain this because just saying to people well all this information is available on the ema website or uh, the the fda website is not enough no you know uh, it has to be actually translated you know accurately very accurately into usable Information. We're usually driven by social media. You are entering the social media war age, Martin. Yes, indeed. indeed. And we have to be equipped for that. Well, we maybe these podcasts <laughs> will help. <so. laughs> Hopefully, yes. I'm sure they will. Deputy Director Social, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you.